Hey, thank you so much for hitting that play button to listen to this week's episode of the V1 Church podcast. Yes, we are talking about sex. This is Mike Signorelli, the co-lead pastor of V1. And man, I know that this is a heavy topic. It's a super confusing topic. But I had this righteous indignation as I thought to myself, why is Drake the only one that can talk to you about sex? I mean, why are you going to learn more about sex from a Snapchat article or an Instagram post than you do from the Word of God? Let's not waste another second. Episode 1, Blurred Lines. Well, come on, can you put your hands together for everyone who may be listening right now? If you're a note taker, go ahead and get your notebook out. We're going to take some notes, get your Bible ready. Extra credit to everyone who brought a real Bible. But if you need to download the V1 Church app, go ahead and do so. If you're visiting here today because your friend said, my pastor, he's talking about sex today. And, and you were like, you know what? That church service, I will attend. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I'm the co-lead pastor of V1. My name is Mike Signorelli, and I've had multiple people in the last couple of weeks ask me where I come from, and because I think I talk differently than you do. My, my accent's more holy, though. It's from the Midwest. <laughs> but uh, welcome. Welcome today. I believe that this could be one of the most important messages that you ever hear in your life. And there's a gravity to it, so I just want to ask that you would respect this space and that you would all respect the fact that whether you're 12 years old and you're here because you're not in V1 Kids, uh, that I'm treating you like an adult because the world does too. Is that all right? So for the duration of this message, can I ask that everyone would just bring full maturity through this? Can you guys do that? Okay. It's a, it's a heavy topic, and I'm tired of Drake being the only one who could talk about it. I'm tired of Snapchat being the only one that can educate my people. I'm tired of Instagram being the only one who can tell you what sex is all about. Can I tell you what Jesus thinks about it? Can I tell you what God thinks about it? Sex is a powerful creative force. It's an exceedingly destructive force. It's euphoria. It's nightmarish. It's intimate. And it's isolating. It's exhilarating and it's unfulfilling. It's a confirmation. It's a condemnation. It's selfless. It's so selfish. It's love. It's lust. And for many of us here in this room, it's forever defined by blurred lines. But God doesn't define it that way. Can I tell you how God defines it? You know, this is going to be like one of the most important days of your life because you're going to come into a knowledge of the truth. And you've all heard that old adage, you shall know the truth and the truth will what? Can I add to that? The truth that you hear and obey will set you free. You know, there's a lot of good truth talkers out there, but there's truth with the lowercase t that you might get from Gary Vaynerchuk. There's truth with the lowercase t that you might get from Simon Sinek, but there is a truth that evaluated stands above every other truth, and it's with a capital T, and it's the person of Jesus Christ manifested through this scripture. And this man named Paul, who him, himself was 
a bad dude. He was a murderer. He had committed, he had actually devoted his life to trying to snuff out this, this movement called Christianity that was, had just been born as the Messiah died and was resurrected. And so Paul now is, is, has this miraculous conversion himself and he's dedicating his entire life to spreading the word for the very first time to tell people about this Jesus that was the true Messiah, that he wasn't a liar, he, he wasn't a lunatic, he was actually Lord. And he, and he begins to travel throughout the world and he would go into Jewish synagogues and different parts of the known world and begin to explain to them about how they were waiting for the Messiah, but in fact, the Messiah had come and he was declaring that. And he gets to this place called Thessalonica. And when he gets to this region, I want you to imagine this region, it's a port city. And which means ships were able to come in and out of Thessalonica easily. There was a lot of trade that was happening. There was a lot of exchanging of ideas happening. Fashion was a big deal. Philosophy was a big deal. Imagine it a lot like a port city like Boston or New York City. Heavily populated, a lot of conversations going on. And when he reached Thessalonica, he began to preach this radical message of Jesus and actually was only able to remain in that region for about three weeks because it was so radical that people sought to kill him. So he travels back through that region. He comes through Italy and he gets back to Corinth when he suddenly realizes, I told these people about Jesus, although many rejected it and tried to kill me, there were a few that accepted it. And because they accepted it, I told them all about the gospel, but I never told them how God feels about sex. And so I've got to write this letter back to them. And he hears these rumors that they're getting, that they're taking the gospel and combining it with the culture in which they were alive at that particular point. And they didn't know God's heart. They didn't know God's standard and God's design for their own sexuality. And so he writes this letter back to them. And then we have First Thessalonians. So man, some of you probably went to church your whole life and never knew the background, but there it is. I'm going to read you 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. You ready? For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Here's my point number one. In order to turn towards God, you will always simultaneously be turning away from idols. In order to turn towards God, you will always simultaneously be turning away from a false God. Now, why is that so important? I believe it's so important for you because there are many Christians who believe that they can have their porn addiction and they can have God at the same time. There's a lot of Christians who believe that they can cohabitate, that two gods can actually take the seed of your heart and the, the seed of your affection at the same time. And because they believe this, they live this divided world. And guess what? Jesus was very clear about you not being able to have two masters because one will always rule out. And so what happens is he starts this letter by saying that, that there are some of you that turn to God. And in doing that, you have turned away from false gods. The gospel demands this. You know, let me just pause here for a second and say this. There's a lot of people who have tried to convince me that they have this accurate and sound understanding of the biblical doctrine of grace. And yet the bondage in their life proves that they either don't believe it or they don't truly know it. And I know that's a heavy thing, and I'm talking to Christians here, and often we try to speak to those who maybe are new to the Bible, but I, I hear a lot of people, oh, Pastor Mike, I know all about the grace of God, and I sing about his reckless love, but 
You can't simultaneously turn towards God and, and not turn away from some other stuff. And I think there has to be this levity, this gravity to this message today because I think we get so enraptured in the idea that God's going to do it all for us that we forget that he actually called us to carry a cross as well. And so even though we celebrate the cross, that's only step one. Step two is jump up on it yourself. And I, and I think that any, any presentation of this magnitude that would try to convince you that it's going to be this, this magical experience where you do nothing, I think it needs to be counterbalanced with the fact that Paul starts Thessalonians by saying, you turned away from idols as you turned toward God. You rejected something as you accepted something else. And even if the only thing you did was reject it and the grace and the cross of Jesus Christ empowered you to do the rest, you still had to do something. Does that make sense? Because the bondage in people's lives concerning this area of grace reveals to me that they don't understand the fact that they still have to jump up on a cross too. And you know, that'll make you a better husband. That'll make you a better husband when you say, not my will be done, but yours, God. That'll make you a better wife when you say, you know what, today I'm going to join and suffer with Christ. And this isn't something that you always hear because notice how much tension there is in the room and notice how quiet it is. But if I told you that in 2019, checks are going to start showing up in the mail that you never worked for, it'd get real loud in here. <laughs> Let me tell you about one of the greatest adventures of my life, driving on Long Island. <laughs> When I first got here, I was like, this is crazy. Like, lights don't mean anything. And then when you do a left turn, like when you yield on the left-hand turn, instead of actually yielding, if you're first car, you're going to cut entire four lanes of traffic off and try to be a kamikaze mission to have kill yourself to get in front of everyone else. And I didn't know that. This place is crazy to drive in. New York City, where I live in Queens, as soon as that light turns green, people's brains say, honk now. <laughs> because somebody's not going to know that the light, that it means go, that green. Somebody's not, and they say, and if I don't honk, I'm not going to get to where I need to go. But do you know that, that even for as crazy as it is here in the United States, that, no, listen to me, over 90% of all the accumulated traffic-related deaths happen, not in, on Long Island or in, in America, but they happen in first and second world countries. Now listen to this. Out of the millions and millions of traffic deaths, over 90% of them only happen in regions where they don't have enough money to define the lines and enforce them. So in any country that can't afford to paint the dotted lines, the straight lines, and define it, and then put law enforcement in charge of enforcing those lines, because of that, those conditions, over 90% of all the traffic-related deaths in the world happen in those regions. Why would it be any different with our sexuality? Why would it be any different if we don't define the lines and there's not someone enforcing what God says about it? Why isn't that fatal as well? I, I would tell you it is fatal. I think we're encountering that here in our world. It's, it's so confusing. Sex is such a confusing thing. And, you know, you can't fix a problem that you can't admit that you have. And so often we feel like we're not safe to admit it in the church, which is the one place that we're supposed to bring all of our burdens so that Jesus said, well, here, carry my burden, it's light. 
And, and I think that this is so important, and I'm just kind of setting up the context because all of us have done stupid things because of a lie that we believed. I, and I can prove it to you. I have a four-year-old, her name's Everly, and she comes up to me the other day, and she's like, Dad, I have a loose tooth. Now, she's four years old. That seems like a reasonable thing, right? So she walks up to me, and I'm like, which one? And she points to this tooth right here. And she's like, see, Dad, it's ready. It's ready to come out. And I put my finger on it, and I start to wiggle, and it's, it's in there. Like, it is not coming out. And I'm like, Everly, your tooth is fine. She's like, no, Daddy, it's ready to come out. And then I'm like, wait a second. There's something else going on here. I said, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? What do you want to happen? And she's like, well, when your teeth fall out, the tooth fairy comes. And the tooth fairy gives you money. And because the tooth fairy gives you money, then I can get this new LOL doll that I want really bad. And she is wiggling a tooth that's not even loose because she believes that. No, listen, we won't let strangers in our house, but we will lie to our kids. Earmuffs if you're under the age of, well, really 11. Come on, it's embarrassing if you're 12 and you still believe it. Somebody's like, I, this church is not for me. I love my lies. But you know what happens is, we do stupid things when we believe a lie. And she's going to look back when I tell her this story and be like, you believe that we, I won't even let a stranger in my house, but we will tell our kids that a stranger, a fairy is going to come into the room while they're sleeping. Would you let a stranger into your kid's room while they're sleeping? No, it defies everything we teach them about what's normal in society, but it's okay when you lose your teeth. Try that when you're 65. <laughs> But here's the thing. We believe something stupid. I'm going to go back to Everly. I'm going to be like, Everly, when you were four, you tried to convince me that one of your teeth were loose so that the tooth fairy could come. And it's stupid. And we all believe these. And here's the thing. You believe some stupid stuff about sex. You believe some stupid stuff about your sexuality, about the way it should be. The people in Thessalonica, they believe some stupid things too. You know, for me, I'll tell you, I didn't have a father growing up. And my mom tried to replace my father with the Boy Scouts of America. So she enrolled me in Boy Scouts, and that was like how I got fathered, you know. But one topic never came up, and it was sexuality. I actually learned about sex. Sorry, Mom, here's my revelation. When I was in sixth grade, and maybe I'm a late bloomer, I don't, there was no real internet yet. I don't know. That's freaky, right? We have somebody going to our church who will remain nameless who didn't even know who Seinfeld is. So I know, but this it, times are changing, y'all. It's bleak out there. But I, I'm, I remember in sixth grade, we used to have these little circles we would form before school, and, I, and, I, and we would play hacky sack. I don't know if you remember hacky sack. And, and uh, this, this, this topic came up, and they started talking about sex, and I was, they were like, you know, right, Mike? I'm like, yeah, sure. But on the inside, I'm like, what, what, you, what? And I remember that being like my education. And, and then, you know, I was one of those kids who listened to like DC talk and audio adrenaline. And you remember all those groups? And I was like the youth group kid. So I, I was good. You know, this was before Johnny Cash, Mike. And, and, you know, I, I was thinking about nowadays I, as a pastor, I've counseled and, and walked so many young people, especially through porn addictions that started when they were in the fourth grade because uh, they're, they're at that age where an iPad and uh, high-speed internet existed. 
And so the gateway was wide open and it wasn't going to find something in, in you know, your grandfather's closet or whatever. And, and I know this is like a crazy thing to talk about on a Sunday morning, but I think it's important to understand that when the culture dominates and dictates the conversation, God will always send a Paul with an apostolic mantle to say, no, this is what God really thinks. And so when he showed up to Thessalonica, Paul was basically saying, yo, New York, I got a word for you. There's a different way. And the reason why he had to actually teach them is because, see, these were Greeks. Now, I'm going to offend some Greeks here. (laughs) But back in the day, Greeks believed in the Greek gods. And because they believed in the Greek gods and worshiped them, each God came with its own particular behaviors of worship. One of them specifically that was ubiquitous in this region of of this this major metropolitan was Dionysus, which was the, the Greek god of drunkenness. And they would actually ritualistically get drunk. They would get hammered drunk and then they would sleep with anyone and anything around them. And this is what Paul came into the context of. And for those of you who are like, worshiping Dionysus, worshiping a Greek God, that's so crazy. Is it any different than what you see at the club every weekend? You get hammered drunk, you're looking for anything that you can find, and people live their life like that. And how many of you know that you may even be just actually repeating a multi-generational cycle that was handed down to you? See, we call it Instagram, they call it Dionysus. I mean, could you have inherited this sexual brokenness? Could it have been something that was so deeply ingrained in you that they just did it for eons before you, that they just participated in this thing, and yet you just don't know how to get free like they did? And let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 6. It says this, for this is the will of God. Now let's stop. Let's pause. For this is the will of God. One of the biggest things I hear from people all the time is, Pastor Mike, help me. I don't know the will of God for my life. I I can't discover the will of God for my life. Like, I need to read this book, and then I need to talk to you, and then I need to timeline it. I don't know the will of God. Well, Paul had the same sense that people didn't understand and know the will of God. And here's this response. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your process and your journey of shedding off the layers of old to behold the newness of God. This is the will of God for you to step out of darkness and progressively go on a journey of freedom. And it says this, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no, trans, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Can I just say this? I love this whole era of reckless love of God that we're in right now. But I think to balance it, Paul says this. Look at verse 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Say all. (laughs) That's pretty heavy, isn't it? For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this doesn't disregard Mike Signorelli doesn't disregard a man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I think 
we, we're so infatuated sometimes with the, this idea that we can simultaneously receive the love of God and live however we want that we nullify the grace of God in our life. And I, I think that this only a fatherless generation, can I just speak to you as a father? Because I'm a dad. Only a fatherless generation would produce a Christian culture like this because we've so desperately wanted the hug of a dad but didn't want the discipline of one. Only a fatherless generation couldn't understand when a dad disciplines because that's not what we saw in the movies. And we want this thing that we've never encountered, encountered before. Here's another lie. Because you're probably asking yourself like, it says flee from sexual immorality. That's it. Well, why didn't the Bible define it? Because I want to know what I can and can't do. Because you know what? It feels good when I look at those pictures. Like, why would I have to, why would I have to flee? You know, flee is the action of running. It doesn't say stay where you're at and God will miraculously pluck you out of the situation because his grace is so good that you do nothing. It says run from it. Flee from it. And, and because we're in this place where, where we, we don't understand this and it hasn't been clearly defined for us, I, I fear that, that we've missed something. And you're probably asking yourself, like, well, why can't I do it? Because the world tells you, explore your body. The world tells you go, that, that it's about taking care of your needs. And we have all these things. But let me just tell you this. One, one year, my wife, when she was a teenager, got the opportunity to drive her dad's car and it was a Lincoln town car. Now, if you're in the middle class, you've made it. <laughs> Lincoln town car was like your way of saying like, no, I'm not middle class, I'm upper middle class now, y'all. <laughs> and her dad, Randy, would wash that car and wax that thing. And, and that was like the prized possession of the family because a Lincoln town car was like luxury. It was like a couch in that front row and you made it. All your life's work, now I got a Lincoln town car. So then all of a sudden their teenage daughter gets this car and she's on this mission to go buy a, a newspaper for the good, like the Black Friday sales. And as she's on that journey, she's so exhilarated, you know, isn't driving one of the last remaining like freedoms of America. It's like when you first, I don't know if you can remember back to when you first got your license, but you're like, I can go anywhere. Then you realize you only have 10 bucks and you're like, no, I can't, but I can one day. Well, she's gets in this car and she's, just so exhilarated with this feeling of freedom as she's barreling down the road that she doesn't realize that she doesn't quite know how to drive yet <laughs> and that she doesn't know how to handle this Lincoln town car. And so she ends up wrecking into the person in front of her and like totally destroying this car. And it's still drivable. And she has this moment like, I have driven so many times before, but there's just something about knowing that I just destroyed this Lincoln town car, my dad's prized possession, that, that I don't even want to tell him. You know, you know that feeling when you've got to go back and admit what you've done? When you're like, are they going to kill me? <laughs> like, what's going to happen? So she, she drives this broken car back home and she gets out of the car and she's looking at it like, oh man. What did I do? And she gets back into the house and she's like, dad, I got to tell you something. I wrecked the car. I wrecked the Lincoln town car. And do you want to know why it feels different to break something that's not your own? Because it's a reminder that there was a price that was paid that you didn't pay. And see, the reason why 
We all know that when we are looking at porn or sleeping around or whatever we're doing, when our sexuality is brokenness, there's this brokenness in, in our sexuality, we somehow intuitively know that we are bought with a price and that we are not our own. And only a fatherless generation would come up with statements like, it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. And that sounds so empowering until you go on that journey of treating your body like it's your own only to discover that there's no freedom in that at all. There's no empowerment in that at all. And see what happened. See, when, when Paul was preaching to the Greeks and they were having drunken sex with each other, incest, they were having drunken sex with anything, bestiality, it was this horrible, horrendous thing. Not everyone listened to Paul, but there were some people that said, you know what? Our culture is telling us to get drunk and to have sex and to use our sexuality however we want because we own our bodies, but it's not producing any peace in my life. It's not enough. I still feel jacked up. I still feel messed up. And see, the Bible gives an account that there were some who did listen to him. There were some who did acknowledge that it was the true message that Jesus had come to ransom them and paid the full price for something they were so indebted to they could never pay back. And that's why he said from the place of Corinth to the church of Corinth, he said, for you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. If somebody here needs to know you're not your own, you know, we have this phrase and I hate this phrase. Oh, she's like that because she has daddy issues. And, you know, I thought about it this morning and it broke me to have this thought because I have two daughters. And I was thinking about that stupid phrase, oh, she has daddy issues. Well, let me tell you, only a generation who never felt like they belonged to their dad, who never felt like they belonged to their dad would never feel like they belonged to their heavenly father. When you ask yourself, where is this sexual brokenness coming from? One of the biggest roots of it is isolation and loneliness. It's people feeling like they're doing life alone on their own. And so you know what they say? I don't even know that I can even have a functional, healthy relationship. So I'll just have a relationship with a screen and at least get some good feelings because I don't even think I'm worthy enough to have it all. And there's so much pain and so much isolation and loneliness embedded in this. And, and forget all the preachers that can't see past it to look at the root. Forget everyone who's so concerned with putting passcodes on your iPads and your iPhones that they miss the loneliness. They miss the isolation. They miss the root that say you are not your own. It's not about your phone. It's about your father. You need a heavenly father to come into your life and to say you belong to me, child. I paid a price for your sexuality. I can restore your purity. I can restore your hope. You are not alone. You're going to sit with the absence of people, but the presence of God. And something will change when you take your phone out then. And it won't be, oh, he's looking over my shoulder. It'll be like Julie's dad. You know what Julie's dad said? This is the kind of father she had. When she said, dad, I, I wrecked this Lincoln town car. Like, I'm so sorry. You know what, she, you know what he said to her? Babe, I'm just so glad you're okay. 
And I think some of you have been so afraid to go to God with your broken sexuality. But if you will come to him in these moments, I promise you, he's just going to look at you and he's going to say, I'm just so glad you're okay now. You're with me. Oh, I'm going to take you on a journey. You're with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are not alone. I'm just so glad you're okay. Because the wrath, the judgment, it's real. But that's what makes the grace real too. Hey, this is Pastor Mike here again on the other side of this message. I believe that your life was changed. I am still receiving messages. Our church is still getting messages from people talking about what they encountered as they heard God's word. And so here's what I want you to do. Do not be selfish with what you receive today. Share it. There's something that happens in your own personal freedom when you share with someone else. So go ahead, however you can right now, share this message with someone. I believe that we can multiply what happened in your own life. And we'll see you guys next week.